How's everybody doing? Hoping you're having a wonderful day. So we're getting into, what is this, the fifth video? Yeah, I think it's the fifth video. We're getting into the fifth video on the evolution of Catholic dogma. Today we're going to be getting into evolution by reasoning from essence to properties. So we're still further getting into the uh, specific nature of evolution and how this works in the category of logic. So what kind of brings this about is we've already spoken about the three types or three degrees of reasoning uh, based on the three types of distinction. So nominal, which is uh, basically something which is purely explanatory. It goes from uh, something which is unclear to something which is clear. It goes from a nominal definition to a real definition. We already, we already talked about that and the various ways that we can bring that about. Uh, we, we covered it briefly, but uh, th it really doesn't warrant an entire uh, treatment because this isn't necessarily what we're talking about when it comes to the evolution of Catholic dogma. Really, everybody agrees that we can have this sort of nominal change between our premise and our conclusion. And then on the other side of things, uh, what we have called the third degree, we have that objective uh, reasoning that occurs where you go from one thing to a different thing and in the middle we have conceptual and as i've stated before con understanding conceptual distinction understanding the second degree of reasoning that is going to be the key to understanding the evolution of catholic dogma you're going to need to understand second degree you're going to be able to you're going to need to understand conceptual you're going to need to understand that and that's as we went over last time the basis for all metaphysical sciences versus the physical sciences. So we've already went over the type of nominal. We don't really need to get over the type of ways in which we can look at objective reasoning, but we need to look at the different ways in which we can engage in conceptual reasoning. What are those lines of uh, reasoning that we can get into? So the first way is going to be from the essence to the properties. And the second way is going to be from the proper cause to the effect. So this uh, episode and the next episode, we're going to be going over uh, these two. Well, this one, we're going to be going over essence to properties. Next one, we're going to be over uh, going over proper cause to effect to show the ways in which you can engage in reasoning from the revealed data to theological conclusions in such a way as the conclusion is really and objectively identical to the premise, yet it's not merely a nominal difference that's between them. So there are three different ways in which we can use the term essence, and there's going to be two different ways in which we can use the term property. This is going to form the outline of the various different ways in which we can engage in reasoning. So in general, uh, the term essence refers to, uh, as, as we would view, the quiddity of the thing. So the essence of man is rational animal. We're going to, again, look at the different senses in which we can use this and, and how uh, we're going to be able to nuance within those. But generally speaking, essence, uh, essential notes, that which constitutes something uh, said to be in its species, so it's going to be composed of the genus and the species genus of man. We are of the category animal and that which specifies us that that is that's what that which distinguishes us from the rest of the genus and perfects us in our animality is our rationality. So 
our essence is rational animal. But there are also certain things that aren't purely accidental to us. Like something purely accidental to us would be like if we were tall or short, uh, maybe our hair color, our eye color, uh, our location in the world. Th these things are purely accidental to us. But there are certain properties. See what I did there? Properties. There are certain properties, or we could say notes or predications, to men that flow necessarily from the essence as constituted, but they do not constitute the essence because in, in some cases uh, they can be lost. And again, we're going to be nuancing this a lot more, but there are certain things which flow from the essence that aren't the essence. And an example of this uh, would be, uh, we can think in man, the fact that he can speak this follows from his rational animality, uh, his risibility, that is the fact that he can laugh. This follows from his rational animality. But none of those are identical, uh, at least they're not identical conceptually with the rational animality. They just flow from it. So we have these various different properties of a certain thing that flow from the essence but aren't identical to the essence. So this is going to form the basis, really, uh, this in, in the majority of cases, that which forms the basis of theological conclusions. But this is going to form the backbone right here, going from essence, that is, that's that which constitutes something in its species, to properties, that is, that which flows from the essence, yet aren't just completely uh, detached like we may view other accidents. So there are three different ways in which we can use the term essence. Uh, broadly speaking, as I said, it's uh, that which constitutes something in its species. But there's actually three different ways or three different levels of essence. So first, we can look at the, the minimum. I, ca I call it the minimum. And those, those are those things which you just need to think of these things to constitute it as that thing. So the minimum for man is going to be his rational animality. That is merely what's necessary. That is, you just need to think of that, and you got it. Or it's also called the metaphysical essence. That's going to be important when we talk about the uh, uh, the essence of God, but uh, that's that's for uh, another time. Actually, I, I have a video uh, going over that. So if you look, uh, I think it's essence and attributes of God or something of that sort. So if you look at that, you can see how this actually applies to God. And second, you can look at the integral essence. So the integral essence, that's going to be, it's going to, the, the person's going to have all of those things that are connatural with the essence, all those things which flow from it, um, that's going to perfect it in its natural way. And that's, I, I understand that's a little bit um, broad, but it would be like, for example, if you came across a man and the man was missing his arm you have a man who's missing his arm does he have the essence of man well yeah of course he has the essence of man but does he have the integral essence of man does he have uh those various uh things that flow from the essence those various perfections which will constitute this man as man well no and i think we kind of intuitively realize this when we interact with people 
in in real life. Uh, let's say you um, run into somebody who, I don't know, has some sort of birth defect that makes them intellectually disabled. You understand, yes, that person's obviously uh, still a man, but he's not uh, living up to the integrity. He doesn't he doesn't uh, have from nature the integrity of what it means to be man. And then in the third case, we can think of the perfect essence. So with the perfect essence, it's not only the essence of man and its integrity, and most of us are going to have the essence of man and its integrity, but there's certain acquired and accidental perfections on top of that. So let's say you, you see a person that knows a lot of stuff. To know a lot of stuff, to be learned in some discipline, that's not of the mere essence or the integral essence of man. You can't think of the uh, essence of man and then f uh, the mere essence or integral essence of man and then necessarily conclude that that person knows a lot of stuff. That's just not the case. So there are these three levels. Uh, again, keep them in your mind. Mere essence, integral essence, and perfect essence. And actually, when we look at the the order of these three, it's it's very important because they're almost like Russian nesting dolls. You, you can think of it like that. Because where you have the second, you have the first. If somebody has the integral essence of man, he has the mere essence of man. The property, the uh, I guess you could say the essence is contained in the, uh, the integral, the mere essence is contained in the integral essence. And then you look at the third one. If something has the perfect essence, it's also going to have the integral essence and the mere essence. So the order is very important. And it's going to make our reasoning process a lot different. So we look at man. Uh, well, if it's revealed to us that a man has perfect essence, we're going to be able to conclude implicitly that he has integral mere essence. Or that he has integral essence, he has mere essence. But if you have mere essence, you're not going to be able to conclude integral or perfect. If you have integral essence, you're not going to be able to uh, conclude perfect essence, if all of that makes sense. So this is going to be very important when it comes to considering the sense of the terms which are given to us in Revelation. So when you look at each one of the terms to a revealed proposition, let's say we have the, we have the revealed proposition that Christ is man. We have to consider the essence of man very carefully in order to consider what we can conclude from this. Because if by man we mean the mere essence, then we're only going to be able to conclude that which is merely essential. If by man we are given the integral essence, then we can conclude those things that are integrally essential and merely essential. If by man we mean what is perfectly essential, then we can conclude that which is perfectly essential, integrally essential, and merely essential. So our reasoning process is going to look a lot different depending on the essence of all of the terms that are given to us in sacred scripture. Very, very, very important that we keep track of all of the terms and their various meanings. So further, when we look at property, property, again, that which flows from the essence, there are two senses of the term property. So the first sense is going to be those properties which are essential. So essential properties, that is that which essentially flows, 
is going to be really identical with the essence of the thing. And then accidental properties are going to be those properties that are really distinct from the essence of the thing and can be separated from it. So this, this may seem like we're just talking about essential notes and accidents, but no, we're actually still talking about properties. And this, uh, this illustration will actually help because we distinguish uh, between the two by the note of radicality or radicality, or I, I think radicality is a word. I don't know how to put radical, but in a Lee term, uh, radicality and actuality. So whether something is radical or actual. So by radical, we mean that it has the root of something. By actual, we mean that it actually exists. So if we look at man, one of the properties of man is his risibility. So his ability to laugh. That is something which flows from the essence of man as, as rational animal. So if we think about it, what if you have a man who can't laugh? Does he does he lose something which makes him essentially man? Well, no, you can't say that. Because otherwise, the man wouldn't be a man. But on the other hand, it's something which flows necessarily from the essence. So how can you separate it from the essence? It's really identical to the essence. Well, this is where the distinction between something which is radical and something which is actual is so important. So when it comes to the essential properties, since these properties bear a necessary relation to the essence, they have to have uh, something which the essence has to have the capacity, has to have the radical capacity for it. So while all men may not be actually risible, they may not actualize that uh, status or that property, they all have the root or the ability for risibility. They're all radically risible. So we have to keep this always in mind that even while we may say, okay, uh, the ability to speak is something which is a property of man necessarily flows from his essence. It is the ability to speak. It's not actual the, the actualization of that ability necessarily, but only that sort of root or capacity for it that is found in the essential notes of rationality and animality. Even while there may be certain circumstances or certain other accidents which are going to block the ability to actualize uh, the, the, the radical property. So I hope that makes sense. I... I don't want to I don't want to confuse you too much, but I think this this chart is going to really help us. So we've went over uh, two types of property and three types of essence. So what we can do is we can kind of put these into a chart to look at six different types of reasoning that would follow from this. So first, and I'm going for from top row and then second row. First, we can look at John and say that. John has the mere essence of man. Therefore, John has radical risibility. Second, we could say John has the integral essence of man. 
Therefore, John has radical risibility. Third, we could say that John has the perfect essence of man. Therefore, John has radical risibility. So, all three of these, what type of reasoning are they? Well, they're the second. They're the second class of reasoning. This is a mere conceptual difference in all three of these. In the uh, because if we look at what radical risibility is, as we talked about last uh, in the last slide, radical risibility is an essential property. So it is really identical to the essence. It's really identical to the mere essence, actually. So anything above mere essence is going to is going to uh, have radical risibility since it necessarily flows from the mere essence. So if we look at John as having the mere essence, the integral essence, or the perfect essence, we're going to be able to conclude that he has radical risibility. Now let's look at the second row. Well, the second, uh, that'd be a row. I don't know, going down, it's column. Oh yeah, column is right and left. Row is up and down. So yeah, I guess it would be the second row. So let's look at the second row. We may also uh, have actual risibility in three ways, and conclude to actual risibility in three ways. First, John has the mere essence of man. Therefore, John has actual risibility. Second, John has the integral essence of man. Therefore, John has actual risibility. Third, John has the perfect essence of man. Therefore, John has actual risibility. Well, actually, if we look at the second row, one of these is not like the others. Which one is it? It's going to be the first one. Because as we've discussed before, when it comes to actual risibility, that is going to be a part of the integral essence of man. That's going to be those perfections, those properties which flow from the mere essence are going to form the integral essence. And therefore, if we go through the first process of reasoning, there is a real and objective distinction between the premise and the conclusion. This is actually going to be a fallacious form of reasoning. We cannot conclude from John having the mere essence of man that he has actual risibility. We can't conclude that. But the fifth and the sixth ways, we can, because the uh, actual risibility is contained really in the integral essence, and it's also contained really in the perfect essence. So let me look at my notes. So yes, yeah, so if we if we apply the scale that we have already looked at, we're going to be able to see that the first, second, and third, and then the fifth and the sixth are going to be the second degree of reasoning that we've already talked about. It's going to be like we talk about uh, the, met the metaphysical sciences. Where the fourth way, that's going to be the third way of reasoning because there's a real distinction. There's an objective distinction between the premise and the conclusion. There's no conceptual um, relation between the two. So we're broadly speaking just going to be able to going to be able to group these into two classes. So the first class, the class that uh, the fourth one falls into, is going to be called the reasoning of real distinction with no implicitude.
because there is because the conclusion is not implicitly contained in the premise. Where the second is going to be the reasoning of real identity with implicitude, since the pre since the conclusion is implicitly contained in the premise. So I hope all this has made sense. And an interesting application to this is actually going to be uh, if we look at the tract De Deo Uno, so the study of the unity of God. Because if we look at the distinction between all of the divine attributes, they are going to have a distinction of, it's said to be a minor virtual distinction. So in a minor virtual distinction, there is a certain overlap between all of the perfections where they're related to each other as implicit and explicit. So because all of all formal perfections are going to exist, uh, all pure perfections are going to exist formally and eminently in God, from one of these perfections, we're actually going to be able to reason uh, to all of the other ones. We're going to be able to reason around to all of God's perfections. So that, that's sort of an interesting uh interesting application to this. And on another note, um, what is said for properties also works for relations. And St. Thomas is going to write about this in his commentary on Boethius's De Trinitate. It's going to be question five, article three. He says, therefore, when the nature itself is related to and depends on something else, with regard to that which forms the definition, ratio of the nature, so that's going to be the essence, and through which the nature itself is understood, clearly we cannot know the nature without the other thing. This is true, whether they are connected as a part is united to the whole, as we cannot know foot without knowing animal, because that whereby foot has the nature of foot depends on that whereby animal is animal, or whether they are connected as form is united to matter or as one part to another part, or as accident to subject, as we cannot know snub without nose. Or what, or I don't know what snub without nose means. I haven't been able to figure that out. Or even whether they are separated in reality, as we cannot know father without knowing son, although these relationships are found in different things. So St. Thomas is going to confirm uh, this way of doing things. Uh, Specifically, uh, this is about relations, but it's going to work for other properties. And then as a, as a final note, um, as a bit of a critique uh, against the, the common, and I guess I don't need to have my slide show up anymore, as a bit of a critique against a common illustration that is said to divide multiple uh, classes of theologians when it comes to theological conclusions. The traditional example is going to be whether a theologian says that we can define this uh, this conclusion, that Christ is risible. Some theologians say that the church could define dogmatically that Christ is risible, that is, that Christ has the ability to laugh. Others say that we cannot define that that is dogmatic because we would need to go through a process of natural reason. But uh, as we've as we've seen today, that is actually um, a bit of a how do I put it? That is actually not a good way of dividing things up, because depending on what you mean 
by man and what you mean by risibility. That is whether you mean man in the, uh, the mere essence, the integral essence, or the perfect essence. And whether you mean property in the term of a radical property or an actual property. You can actually come to two, uh, two different conclusions on this. On the one hand, like we talked about in the fourth uh, combination of property and essence, we could actually be talking about a real and objective distinction, which is found between the premise and the conclusion, which would be Christ is man, therefore Christ is visible. If we mean that Christ has the mere essence of man, therefore Christ has the actual property of visibility. But on the other hand, if we mean the other five combinations, we actually would mean that there is uh, merely a conceptual distinction and there is an objective identity and that the conclusion is implicitly contained in the uh, in the premise. And therefore, we actually have two different uh, combinations between those who do say that we can define the uh, proposition that Christ is risible between those who would say um, in the fourth versus those who would say in the first through third and then the fifth and the sixth. So that's actually a bit of a bad example. Uh, if you read a lot of literature on uh, on the evolution of dogma, you'll see that example brought up over and over again. Uh, currently watching from the beginning to uh, on two times speed to catch up. Nice. Yeah, so so that's that's what I wanted to make clear with you guys. And I'm sorry if I made any of this super duper abstract. I tried to explain all of the principles. Um, uh, if if uh, oh yeah, I, I needed to remember to do this anyways. So if you if you did want to uh, learn more about this, I actually uh, in my in my course on logic. If you go to my website christianpwagner.com, I have scholastic courses. One of them was on logic. Uh, this is actually where you traditionally discuss the um, the ways in which uh, notes can be predicated of a certain thing. And there's five different ways that a note can be predicated to a certain thing, but broadly speaking, it's going to be essential, uh, which could either be generic or specific, and then it's either going to be a property or an attribute. So, um, yeah, if you go to my website, that uh, you can get it, or if you become a patron. Uh, you, you also get all at least the videos. So that's all I have for you. Thank you. And as always, God bless.